What I love most about Mi Gente is our community and how important it is to take care of our own. Hey, it's Honey and Carolina. On our podcast, Life in Spanglish, we talk about how important being there for your loved ones is. Pero también sobre lo importante que es tener a alguien dispuesto a apoyarte cuando lo necesites, como lo hace State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Aprende más en es.statefarm.com. Life is full of surprises. Some good, some not so much. Hola, it's Honey. Hola, it's Carolina. Y sabes que estar preparado para cualquier cosa es importante. Whether that's in our roles as mothers, wives, businesswomen, or podcasters. On our show Life in Spanglish, you know that being open to unexpected turns has been an important part of our success. Pero we can use some help. Oh yes, la buena ayuda is welcome. Y si pasa algo, tranquilitos. Isn't it good knowing that with a State Farm agent you can worry less because someone will be personally invested in safeguarding your goals? Plus, they have the options to talk to a real person whenever a customer needs, especially when those unexpected turns come up. It's the personalized attention you can count on. Aprende más en es.statefarm.com Como un buen vecino, State Farm está ahí. This is an official download from thecustardtv.com Hi everyone, welcome to the Custard TV podcast. It's another Lukeless week, so we're joined by two guests. Uh, the first of whom, whose voice you'll recognise, is, is Sarah. Hello, Sarah. Hi, yeah, you're right. Yeah, Here I am in the Midlands area. <laughs> we should say this is the second time we've tried to record this, and um, so the things we say aren't as fresh as they would be. Um, we got about 15 minutes in before I realised that I hadn't pressed the record. So if this sounds a bit regurgitated, some of it might be. Um, come back, all is forgiven. Yeah. And joining us uh, for the first time, you will have read some of her stuff on the website. We've got Erin with us. How are you, Erin? Hello, I'm good. I'm good. On the show today, we are going to be talking about Help, which is Channel 4's new single drama uh, from Jack Thorne about care home in the pandemic. We'll be talking about Manhunt Colon, The Night Stalker, ITV's uh, new crime drama, which is going to be stripped over four days. The Chair, which is a Netflix comedy drama starring Sandra Oh, and uh, Young Rock, which is a comedy about uh, Young Rock. <laughs> As it says on the tin, The Young Life of the Rock. How are we all, Sarah? Let's start with you. I'm fine, thank you. I've been a busy little bee this week. I went for an interview with Commonwealth Games because I'm here in Birmingham representing the Midlands area. Um, so I'm really excited. Hopefully I will get to be a Commonwealth Games volunteer next year. But don't hold your breath because we don't find out until after Christmas because they've got to interview 25,000 people. <laughs> so that's quite wow. a thing for them to do. And then next Saturday, um, I'm really excited to be representing um, my employer and going to volunteer at Birmingham Pride. So I cannot wait to see Birmingham with flags and glitter and dancing and having a good time because, boy, do we absolutely need that right now. And how about you, Erin? Yeah, I'm not too bad. I'm back at uni now and it's been busy already, but it's nice to be back to some sort of normality after quite a while of doing zoom calls and stuff like that mm. um it's been a strange year and a bit but like hopefully this year will be a lot better have you had any face-to-face lectures yet or is that coming up in, in this week mm, next week yeah but yeah, yeah hopefully yeah is that kind of like a little bit stressy but also quite exciting yeah I think so I just like it's been a long time since been like in a lecture hall or anything so like I feel like that's quite exciting actually I'm looking forward to it 
my concern is how have the kids who used to copy your lecture notes uh, survived? <laughs> <laughs> just trying to think of one of my friends who basically never went to lectures <laughs> and she just copied my notes. How do they cope no. with Zoom? <laughs> oh yeah, true. It's like only them, yeah. <laughs> this could be a podcast. A podcast. Don't you have to be some sort of whiz kid to do those? Uh, definitely not. Anyone with a computer can make one. Talking telly. Use your ears and trust them. This is the Custard TV podcast. Yes, that would entertain me briefly. From thecustardtv.com. We'll start with Help, um, which is, as I said, Channel 4, single drama regarding a young lady called Sarah, played by Jodie Comer. Uh, she starts the drama by getting a job at a care home around the end of 2019. Then, obviously, we plunge into March 2020 and a pandemic hits. And quickly, the care home is thrust into what are we going to do, you know, in terms of the lack of PPE the sort of logistics around the care home, the visitations, keeping uh, residents in their rooms, staff members having to self-isolate. And Sarah finds herself sort of plunged into the midst of this, into having to do shifts on her own. And it really looks at how it affects her mental health, her well-being. It also focuses on her relationship with one of the residents, Tony, played by Stephen Graham, who's got early onset uh, dementia. And it's sort of how she wants to really protect him from not suffering the same fate as some of the other residents who sadly pass away. Now, Sarah, you've said this once already. You you didn't watch this. I and, didn't and watch this. there is this. a personal reason. Uh, for very I... personal reasons. And I'm going to bear my soul again for you. <laughs> I can't believe you're making me do this twice. I'm going to have to call my therapist after this. Oh, I'll foot the bill. <laughs> yeah, you, you'll foot the bill and you'll do all the difficult editing. Trust me. <laughs> yeah, no, this was too much for me to watch. It was. I know it's important that people watch it now, even though we're still in COVID times, really, because this message has got to be out there. You know, people have got to understand all of the terrible things that happened, but I do not want to relive it myself. Uh, people may know that I've been dealing with grief this year. I've had a, a heck of a year. My wonderful husband died in February. He'd had cancer for a long time. He always said that he knew what bus was going to run him over. He just didn't know when. Turns out, start of February. So we'd been shielding throughout the pandemic and we'd been sitting on the sofa watching a lot of TV together, which is exactly, it was my perfect life. It was fine. But he was getting more and more poorly and he did have to go into hospital in January and was transferred to hospice and died in hospice in the February and it was all bad it was all so bad it was really horrible um it was it was especially anxious because I knew that the last place I wanted him to go was hospital his breathing was getting bad because of the cancer he knew that I didn't want him to go so he actually delayed and stayed home a few more days even though he knew he wasn't getting any better because I was so worried about him going into hospital because I can't remember the stats off the top of my head, but I know in the second wave, a lot of hospital patients ended up getting COVID while in hospital in a place that should have been should have been looking after them, you know. Oh, so Nathan actually did get COVID while in hospital. And that was devastating to me because I was really worried that that meant that he wasn't going to be allowed to transfer to hospice. Um, he was, thank God. But it was crap because he had... COVID and, and they, they needed to protect me as the visitor and they needed to protect their own staff. So everybody was covered in PPE. 
face mask, visor, gloves, apron. You weren't allowed to have a drink or eat anything while you were there. It was awful. And I, I didn't even work there. I just visited and I just can't imagine ever really wanting to watch this on TV. It's too much. But like I say, it's timely to do it now. We can't film these things and tell these stories two or three years down the line when I'll be ready to watch them. But I lived it. A lot of people, like you say, were protected from what happened there because they are the sort of people who are afterthoughts and forgotten about, and certainly by government. All of these workers would have been doing their level best, but they were hobbled by pathetic, dangerous lack of response by the government. I'm assuming that is basically what Jack Thorne thinks as well. But damned if I'm watching any more of it than I actually did on Gogglebox. That was enough to give me an anxiety stomachache. Yeah, no, I was done. That was enough for you. Yeah, and I think think actually looking at a lot of Jack Thorne's stuff, you know, he's things like Kiri and the Accident and National Mm -hmm. Treasure, you know, he does like to sort of expose those injustices that you were talking about. And, yeah, he doesn't you know, shy away from those sort of things, which is great. Those are exactly the sort of writers that we need in this country, people mm-hmm. who are brave and will tell these stories. And the sort of thing, you know, Channel 4 is there for as well. And there's a whole other argument about being privatised, which we won't get into here. But, you know, maybe, it's... maybe Jack should give me a ring. You know, I've got a story <laughs> of my own, as you just heard. And I'm well, Luke... sorry to, like, re-traumatise any any of your listeners. Yeah, well, Luke, Luke's got a bit of an in with him. So maybe, you know, he's spoken to him before. He might be able to. It's <laughs> a ring, <laughs> Always looking for a new project. As you said, you know, they did touch on some of those aspects in in the drama, whereas, you know, they had relatives speaking to their loved ones through windows, paramedics coming to the home wearing masks, asking why the staff weren't wearing masks. And as I said, Sarah, the the Jodie Comer character, having to work this massive night shift on her own with the patient who was dying of COVID and having no idea what to do. I mean... Erin, what did you make to this? I think what I found particularly striking was like how quickly it all changed. We saw that Christmas in the home, Christmas 2019, and it was, it seemed like great. And Sarah was beginning to enjoy her job. And then, yeah, it just seemed like all of a sudden everything changed and everything had to adapt. And it was confusing for some of the patients if they were suffering from something like dementia it's even more affecting because they don't know what's going on and the staff don't really know what's going on either. So that would have been tough for everyone to deal with. I've had work from the hospital. We're going to be taking on a few more residents. How many? Eight. It's the virus thing. They just need, you know, to make space, get rid of a few long-termers. Was it safely? The doctors love. What, do you think I don't watch the news, I know. This is us doing our bit. Most of them should have been out years ago. They're just blocking up beds. We're being useful. This is Stan. He's 85 years old. Are you Stan? Where's your mask? I uh, didn't know we needed to wear them. Who's your manager? I'm the manager. No masks unless you're around infection. That's what we were told. And he, he's been tested, right? He's all clear. It's about my station now. Should we get him in? Got five others to deliver today. Yeah, let's get you somewhere comfortable, shall we, Stan? 
I need to talk to you all about COVID-19 protocols. We need more PPE. Look, let's not start out all aggressively, shall we? We've got a box of this and a box of that, but mostly we've got a box of F all. Look, I am trying. I drove around every bloody chemist yesterday, every one of the best parts of Merseyside. I couldn't get masks, I couldn't get alcohol wipes, couldn't get nothing. And PHE don't, don't give a yeah, shit. Yeah, it's rationing, pure and simple. They want to protect the NHS and care homes can just go well. The guidance is face masks should only be worn when within two metres of the infected. And we don't have any infected yet, so we don't need to wear them, OK? Cleaning, when in doubt, scrub with every disinfectant you can find. And residents are to be fed in their rooms exclusively from now on. Where are we supposed to find time for that? The priority has to be keeping the residents apart. So we're going to have to do, like, a, a lockdown inside the home. Yeah, but we carry it between them. Then we have to be dead careful not to carry it between them. As soon as we notice a case, barrier nurse and OK, washing hands, um, you know, happy birthday twice, or two verses of Ferry Across the Mersey. New masks, new aprons. Oh, no, we can't do that, can we? And I'm banning visits. What? Just tell me now. Well, hold on. There's no advice on that. No, that's me. I'm saying it's happening. For the sake of everyone here. What about Bill? He sleeps in the lounge. What am I supposed to do with him? Tell him to sleep in his own bloody bed for once. Hey, one last thing. The laundry service have said that they can only do half of what they did before, so can we please try and keep the sheets on the beds a little bit longer? Oh, Steve, come on. If people are sick, they need new sheets. Do they not know that? It's COVID protocols. They have to keep their staff apart. It's... You know, I don't know, it's annoying, it's, it's all just annoying. From midday, we implement, OK? And I will find you your PPE. Yeah. I think it was great. I always knew it would be great since it was announced because, I mean, yeah, you can't really go wrong with those actors, that writer. It worked so well as a two-hour film, and especially as a TV film, I think, because after certain ad breaks, there would be a bit of a time jump. Maybe you needed those adverts to like have a think about what you've just seen. Bit of a palate cleanser, like like yeah. sushi, you know. Like, give me a minute. I just want to watch some furniture adverts and then I'll come back in again. Yes, yes. I mean, exactly. Like, especially after that long twenty-minute scene. I mean, that was probably one of the highlights. But it was hard. That was hard to watch. I sort of split this up a little bit because I. Mm wasn't under the I didn't know it was two hours to start off with and I was mm. like I, I can't cope with I, I wasn't feeling great on Thursday night I had a bit of a cold so I was like I can't cope with this for two hours so I was did it, was it a bit past your bedtime it was a bit past my bedtime well I was, it's going on till 10 past 11 <laughs> <laughs> come on Sarah you're the same age as me you want you get that <laughs> I wasn't even being sarcastic I was genuinely no that's fair enough also yeah, if you so... watch something like devastating like this you need a half hour palate cleanser you need mm. to go and watch an episode of the good place afterwards because you can't go to bed on something like this yeah so i watched as you say like that scene just the consistent and i think it was done real time and it was her and you know on her own no other staff to support her and having to rely on one of the other residents to help her and her feeling like guilty that she was putting mm. Tony through this and Tony being utterly confused not remembering who Kenny was and and then when he got into the room and and seeing Kenny's face and remembering who he was and being utterly devastated to see how ill he was that whole scene and then the futility of her getting home and getting the phone call to say Kenny passed away and her then making the decision to phone his his son to tell him I mean that was that was mm. the, the sort of the aftermath after you'd seen her go through all of this but I, I agree with you. I mean, this was a tremendous piece of work. I think the only bits for me 
where I, I wasn't totally with it. And and Sarah, you will have seen this as well. The the job interview felt a bit bizarre. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I think. I mean. I, I mean. I'm talking on a program I haven't watched, but I can imagine that you would need a little bit of levity because mm. everybody going into watching this knows what's coming. Mm. So you probably need a mm. little bit of silliness, even if it was a bit outrageous at the beginning. I, I, I liked how it was the first sort of half an hour you were just in this care home. It wasn't till I would say like the third after the third advert or the second mm. advert break, the third half, you're actually she you're in the car with her and it was March 2020 and it was like, you know, the first persons died of coronavirus in the UK and and mm. they went from there really so it's like what got, Luke always says isn't it makers care about the characters and the world and mm. I think they did you know and you saw her find herself a little bit in this role but I just felt and I think you know I agree with the the goggle boxes that it was a little bit you know having a go at her at the interview and then giving mm. her the job I mean I've never seen an interview like that yeah. and, and the and the final act as well where she'd taken Tony out of the home and 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 they went to this caravan so she could try and quarantine with him for the 14 days to get him moved somewhere else I mean what did you make of that I thought that was a little bit far-fetched yeah I kind of agree I didn't see that coming and it did start to get a bit far-fetched I wasn't really buying that as much as the rest of it Mm. but the one good thing about that is we did get some lovely scenes between Stephen Graham and Jodie Comer and the stuff they had together during that time when they were sort of in the caravan and and they were playing cards I thought that was great we got such good chemistry I'm so glad that they finally did a major project together but yeah I do agree the sort of that whole thing was a bit far-fetched but I went with it at that point. And and reading some of the, the, the background to it, it initially started with, with Stephen Graham saying, I want to do something with Jodie Comer mm-hmm. to Jack Thorne yeah. pre-pandemic. And then and then it went from there, really, because, you know, she credits him, doesn't she, with helping her get an agent and, and get started. And, and he's wanted to work with her. So and I, I think you're right that their scenes before the, the last act were sort of few and far between, uh, aside from, you know, the, the bit where he was helping her with, with Kenny. I suppose the the other thing was it almost resolved the relationship with her dad as well. She We saw she had quite a splintered relationship with her dad. You know, he was out of work. He was quite disrespectful to her. There was a mention of them having to get stuff from the food bank for Christmas. And then he actually respected her for trying to help Tony at the end, which I thought was an, it was a good scene. And I think the cast they got for this as well was just like a, a little bit ridiculous. I mean, like, yeah, I, I had no idea like Leslie Sharp was going to be in it as Jodie Comer's mum for like two scenes. Mm, no. And and you had like Sue Johnston and David Heyman and Kathy Tyson all, all as residents. And, and I'll tell you who really surprised me actually was Angela Griffin. I thought she was tremendous mm, as, as one of the, really the care her. stuff. But yeah, no, I think Jodie Comer in this was oh and Ian Hart as well Ian Hart's brilliant <laughs> as the as the care home manager but um yeah. I, I think Jodie Comer is going to get another BAFTA for this I just think she was she was tremendous from beginning to end I mean I think she was in almost if not every scene in this and you just mm-hmm. saw this girl basically being broken mm-hmm. by what had happened to her and the final scene of her is almost like Jack Thorne speaking directly to yeah. the audience through this character just saying you know look what you've done look these people you just don't care about them and and I think that the fact that this was called help as well and it's just about the lack of help 
that, that was exactly. given throughout the pandemic. And and the other thing I really liked about this as well was the direction. Um, Mark Munden is the director. I don't know if you, you saw the third day last year, the, the Jude Law, Naomi I Harris. Actually. It was that sort of very intimate direction that was in this. Mm. You know, the camera was really sort of in people's faces and, and focusing on their expressions. You know, there wasn't a great deal of dialogue here, but you were with these characters and and Stephen Graham's performance as well. You know, I, I, I don't know how much research he did for this role, but you, you know, absolutely bought him as this man, you know, who was always escaping from the home and was confused, you know, thought his mum was still alive, was completely confused by what was going on around him. But building that relationship with Sarah. And I think, uh, you know, I agree, Erin, that those last scenes may not have been great, but, you know, you did see that that relationship grow and that was almost sort of the thing that tied the whole thing together, really. Mm. Yeah, I was going to say exactly the same thing about mm. Stephen Graham. Like, he's been in so many roles, like, over the years. But when you're watching this, you never watch this and go, oh, remember when he was in Line of Duty or remember when he was in This Is England. For those two hours, he is Tony. You don't question that for one second. I guess it's the same for all the other roles he's doing as well. Can you believe that the guy who played Combo is now, you know, doing this exactly. stuff? Because he completely embodied that character too. Mm, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, uh, really hard to watch. And, you know, if, mm. if you're someone like in, in Sarah's situation, then, you know, it's understandable that, that you didn't seek this out. And Yeah, this programme comes with a health warning for people yeah. who've been a bit mm. up close and personal. I did actually notice because, you know, I couldn't help myself. Maybe I just like torturing myself. Um, <laughs> but I did have a quick look at Twitter and it was so well received. And mm. the people who I thought were like, super brave were the people who had been care assistants who are care assistants and they watched the program i thought that was incredible but that's the thing isn't it they want their story to be told mm. to as wide an audience as possible and, and taken as seriously as possible and like you said sarah like there's a lot of people who don't know what it was like who didn't experience this yeah it's so important that everyone knows this program was about individuals and like i don't think that's something that the news reports could ever properly do justice yeah. like you sort of had reports about what it was like in a care home but like stories about individuals is like what was lost I think. My greatest concern is that it was on Channel 4 with people who Channel 4 employ a lot. I'm wondering whether... You ever heard the phrase the more things change the more things stay the same and while we love the excitement of new things it's also nice to have the reliability of something constant. Hey, it's Wilmer Valderrama, and when it comes to insurance, State Farm is a good neighbor you can count on. Solo llama a tu agente. Another way State Farm helps is by supporting the creators and storytellers of the Michael Tudor Podcast Network family. Con la ayuda de State Farm, estamos ayudando y asegurándonos de que nuestras voces sean escuchadas. Como un buen vecino, State Farm está ahí. Aprende más en e s.statefarm.com We started our company, Girls Who Do Interiors, before we even graduated design school. And we turned to Chase for Business to build along with us. They had everything from banking to payment acceptance to credit cards all in one place. And with the Chase mobile app, our business is wherever we are. It's made for business owners who build to inspire. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Real customers compensated. Chase Mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. JP Morgan Chase Bank, NM member of DIC. The audience was wide enough. The people who need to learn lessons from this are the people who are not going to have watched it. Mm. 
Do you know what I mean? But I guess that's yeah, the case with every definitely. sort of piece of hard-hitting TV. If it had been on the BBC, would it have had a bigger viewership? I don't know. I have absolutely no idea. But that's my concern, that it it hasn't traumatised enough people. <laughs> I, think it, I think it would have had a bigger reach, to be honest. I did see the viewing figures. It was OK, but like I feel like it deserves more. Mm. And and I think possibly featuring on Gogglebox might have given it a little bit of a bump mm. because, yeah. you know, I think that's why the Channel 4 tend to put a lot of their programmes on there, don't they? So that, you know, the people maybe who haven't heard about, say, this, which I, I don't know how much press it got ahead of time. Obviously, you know, we watch a lot of TV and read a lot about TV, so we knew it was coming. But Gogglebox is, I think, Channel 4's most watched watch programme, so that's why they tend to highlight those programmes there, and hopefully more people will have watched it. And I think just mm. to go back to your point about this being about people, I think it was helpful that they had that first half hour where you got to meet these characters before yeah. COVID hit and you got to meet the people in the care home and there's that scene at the Christmas party where they had uh, Kathy Tyson's character recite that poem and then that was beautiful I think she was one of the characters that died I don't think they implicitly said that like they did with some of the others like with the the Sue Johnston character I believe was Mm -hmm. the first one who died and I I think it's a project where obviously a lot of actors a lot of big actors wanted to get involved with it even in small roles it's definitely going to stick with me. And I think, you know, Jack Thorne and, and the cast have done their job there, really, um, in terms of and, and making you think how much that industry suffered as a result of, of the pandemic. And hopefully, if you would like to watch it, uh, as I, say, I think we've given you fair warning here, but it is a very strong piece of drama, then help is on uh, all four now next up then we are going to be talking about young rock and sarah do you want to just quickly run through the the premise of this so this is a history of Dwayne the rock johnson can you smell what he's cooking um <laughs> it is based on real events Basically, it feels very much like Everybody Hates Chris and the Goldbergs. So we are watching The Rock grow up and tracing his Hawaiian roots and his schooling in Pennsylvania. Um, But the conceit here is that he's telling this all to an interviewer in 2032 during his presidential run. Um, So this is like a a no-holds-barred one-on-one interview to show that he's not an out-of-touch L.A. lovey um, to make him seem like a man of the people. I don't know about you, but I thought that nothing about this setup seems unlikely because yes of course he's going to run for president at some point that makes perfect sense to me well that's the Um, rumor isn't it i think that's he's playing off the rumor that he is going to run for president that rumor has been around for a while so whether this is him just saying yes i am going to run for president in 2032 or no this is just comedy i mean literally anything could happen it's um, it's american politics guys anything could happen i found though that the interview parts themselves are easily the most awkward and not funny i mean just tell the story about the cute kid and stop cutting back to this weird interviewer you know (laughs) his history is nice it's quite sweet we meet his mum, who's very hardworking and optimistic, and his dad, who was once a famous wrestler. His glory days are behind him. He'll do anything for a paid gig now, basically. Uh, and then we see his dad's matches with big name wrestlers like Rick the Nature Boy Flair, Rowdy Roddy Piper, and Andre the Giant is a family friend. That's pretty cool. So that was quite nice. And it was a good sort of way to sort of name check these famous wrestlers and give them their dues. Personally, I found tonally the comedy was all over the place. Mm. 
the homeless man waffle dying as like a little footnote was baffling like <laughs> why did they think that that would be funny the first episode was trying to do way too much because we saw The Rock in flashbacks in 1982, 87 and 1990. Episode two settles down a little bit and actually tells the story of him trying to impress fine-ass Karen, uh, which is the girl that he's got his eyes on in school. Um, he's also got a sort of best friend's sidekick, but I didn't even catch the guy's name. Like, I don't think that's a very well-drawn character, even though I've seen two episodes now. Episode two also gets a little bit more joyful, but still not laugh out loud for me. So I did look it up on Google and I found that it's already been renewed by NBC for mm. season two. So they reckon it's got mileage and it's definitely charming. But it's not exactly funny, which is a shame because usually The Rock in, in his Hollywood films, he's quite decent for laughs. Uh, so I'm sure this will go down a treat with his fans and with wrestling fans more generally. So maybe that's what NBC are banking on because those are legion. There's millions of those people in the world. Mm. But I, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. didn't know what to expect from it. No. But I didn't like it. <laughs> it tried really hard. It just wasn't funny. Charming, but not funny. Exactly. Is that, Charming, is that, is that but not funny. You, yeah. yeah. Certainly the first episode, it took a while to find its feet because it was mm. doing so much. It, you know, yeah, it as didn't say, seem confident. They basically wanted to tell you, we will be showing you The Rock at three different stages of his life, played by three different actors. Mm. So we're going to have to show you a bit from each of those different stages. And as you say, he's a 10-year-old in, in the early 80s. And I think that is when his dad is at the height of his fame, uh, Rocky Johnson yes. is his father. And as you say, he's then he's hanging around with all the wrestlers like Andre the Giant and the Junkyard Dog and the Iron Sheik. But by, you know, the mid-80s, as you say, when he's a teenager and he's trying to get a car and a girlfriend and yeah. the homeless is man, it... you know, he's... Is it when that he's sort of a little bit older than 10, that's when they move away? At that point, they're in Hawaii with his extended mm, family, aren't they? Yeah, and he's, I think his dad, his fame is waning and he's, he, yeah. you know, he's not as popular. And that's why, you know, the mum is now working as a cleaner. And, and then we've got the sort of early 90s stage where he's now a rookie footballer and trying to impress his new teammates and his new friends and his dad's making all these things up about him. As you say, like the second episode is more focused on him as a teenager. And I think the subsequent episodes are flicking between the three different timelines and showing you sort of, as you say, The Rock isn't just this massive Hollywood megastar. He's been through trouble as well, sort of thing. And that's that's the general gist they're going for. But I think you comparing it there to Everybody Hates Chris and, and to the Goldbergs, I think those programmes have got a lot more focus and... Mm. A lot more jokes. <laughs> so they, uh, as far as I remember, they never cut to like the characters, but older, did they? No. Whereas this one absolutely has to have the Rock himself the rock. in it, which I understand, but it just, it just didn't work. It was so patchy, and it was just mm. they yanked you out of the story every five minutes for the Rock and his his sycophant interviewer to have a little giggle about something that wasn't funny and then you're back in the story again this guy randall park is apparently playing himself the interviewer he, okay he's an actor so maybe that's funny if if you're american and yeah. you know who he is and he's he, playing up he's the dad in fresh off the boat apparently which is another one of these <laughs> sitcoms that's written by someone looking back on their childhoods 
Okay. Um, watched a few. I, I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's about an ama- Asian American family. I want to say it was on one of the Channel Five channels over here, like oh, you know, Five USA or something like that. But I mean, he is an actor, and it's, it's looking at him like he's now become a presenter. Or so they did mention that right. in the first episode, yes. like you were meant to know who he I is. I see. I don't know how much it translates to a UK audience. It is very American. Yeah. I felt as well yeah. in a way where I, do, I must say I did quite like at the very beginning, the very very beginning. I think it was even like pre-credits. The Rock's meeting his fans off his presidential tour bus and the ladies holding the sign saying you should sing more in your movies. Yeah. <laughs> that was quite good, to be fair. Yeah. It gave me a slight giggle twice. So that's one giggle per episode. <laughs> and I like the fact he had like a hologram of himself on the bus. Yeah. I quite like that. But yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I don't think there was a laugh in, in here for me. I do like The Rock and I did think it was charming. And I think of the three, I think the youngest incarnation, the early 80s mm. incarnation, is probably going to be the most charming and have the most appeal to people. But it seems like an odd choice to do these three different iterations, yeah. these three Fine. different stories. I mean, do three iterations if you must, but chronologically for us, please, because it's mm. making my head hurt. <laughs> yeah. This is on Sky Comedy on Friday nights and they're putting it together with um, a show that I believed was on this week because Luke told me, um, Mr. Mayor, which is a new Ted Danson sitcom, which is another very network, American network yeah. sitcom. So it'll be interesting to see how many people sort of gravitate towards that on a Friday night, especially when yeah. uh, Gogglebox is on. And yeah, I mean, well, <laughs> The Rock, you can't get much of a bigger name, can you? So. No, at the moment, so it, no. It'll yeah. probably... Probably maybe do better than it deserves. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, people will just watch it out of sort of... I don't know if there's that loyalty, though, to celebrities, is there? Oh, I love The Rock. I must watch him in everything. I, I must watch his sitcom, even though I don't like it very much. <laughs> Good question. I don't know. <laughs> OK. But that's because we review TV. We're not very loyal, are we? We always yeah. move on to the next exciting, shiny thing. <laughs> You're listening to the Custard TV Podcast. The official podcast of thecustardtv.com. Now we'll move on to something that's been around for a few weeks already. And we, me and Luke have been talking about watching it for a while. So I thought, why not do it a week he's off? <laughs> um, this is The Chair on Netflix, uh, starring Sandra Oh, uh, written by Amanda Peet and... Um, set in a university so I thought uh, university employee Sarah would talk us through this one I had a feeling you'd do this <laughs> and you know that this was a substitution for this episode of the podcast and that I'd watched this when it I, launched I, like two weeks I ago I did not know you'd watched it until I'd asked I, you to watch it I'd flipping watched it <laughs> for enjoyment hadn't written any notes so jump in if you think I've gone wildly wrong. OK. But I thought it was quite interesting to set this up as a job that is a poison chalice, because I think in the next programme we talk about, there's talk of poison chalice there as well. Um, so this is a, a posh northeastern yeah, a sort of Yale like university and they finally employed their first ever woman of colour as a department head. This is Sandra Oh as Professor Jayoon Kim. Uh, she's in charge of the English department, which is hemorrhaging students due to having a bunch of boring old professors there. So she's got a lot on her plate because she's sort of having a, an on again, off again affair with Bill, who is a rock star modernism professor. He's busy self-destructing after his wife's death. He is going to be a big problem for her because something that he does in episode two, I think, 
um, something unpleasant he does in a um, lecture goes viral. I think it's at the end of episode one that he does the thing and then it goes viral in episode yeah. two. To add to her long list of problems, she's got to get rid of the Deadwood professors, Elliot and Joan, um, who no longer care about entertaining or impressing their students. And she needs to try and get her friend Yaz promoted to a tenured position. Um, she's got a problematic relationship with her adopted daughter, which is actually quite refreshing to see that on TV. And quite brave, I think, to be able to sort of put that representation of womanhood on TV. Um, it's very satirical. You can tell that almost the whole series is going to be concerned with the challenges of free speech at a modern university. Yaz is the um, African-American professor or doctor who is working really hard and putting together amazing courses for her students. Um, and she absolutely deserves this position. But the university authorities have said she can have that as long as you get rid of some of the dead wood. And of course, they are hanging on for dear life. Um, I quite liked Joan, who was kicking up her fuss because her office had been moved to basically the sub basement. And then I think Elliot starts out as someone who's really unlikable. Does he just sort of invite himself into co-teaching a course with Yaz? Because mm, oh. his, his is the one basically like... He I think she suggests it, doesn't she? The uh, Sandra Rose character, she suggests yeah. that they teach together because it will be good for her tenure application. I think That's he's right. on the board yeah, for her tenure part. application. Her class is, is it sex in the novel, her class? That's and right. it's yeah, like it's completely oversubscribed and, and everyone's desperate to get on the course. Yeah, and he's got about three people yeah it's his, it's his letters or something like that yeah no that's that's her that's um holland taylor the 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 uh what's the name holland taylor's character jones class oh, right, okay. yeah um, so they've basically got enormously unfashionable subjects which mm. students are just not interested in anymore yeah i i think it fits in oddly very well with what you were saying last week when we were talking it about does, Wolf. It? yeah <laughs> <laughs> the difficulty of people of colour becoming professors is going to absolutely be the case in America as well as here. Because, you know, we know that, that both systems are, are riddled with racism, whether it's passive or active, you know. Mm. So we can see what a, what a privileged position the Sandra O character finds herself in, but also how dangerous it is for her. Because people are just going to want to take her down a peg or two, you know, or think that she's an uppity upstart woman who shouldn't be in this position because she's only in her 40s. So that's really unusual to begin with, never mind being of Asian heritage. There does seem to be almost like a political aspect to it as well. You know, her interactions with the Dean, played by David Morse, you know, he's basically saying you need to get rid of these three people because their classes aren't getting the attendance that we need and mm. after that then you can sort of make your radical decisions yeah exactly uh, you mentioned there that bill was the outgoing chair and and he's got a lot of issues his wife's passed away recently i think we're led to believe his daughter's left for college so he's all on his own and you know as you say he's like this rock star you know he's got this teenage fan girl who's yeah. sort of following him around and then really creepy <laughs> <laughs> but probably not out of the ordinary either really i don't no. know if that's I feel like I've unburdened my soul a bit, <laughs> but there was a guy space, at my safe university, space. I won't name him because I think he might still be there. <laughs> he taught postmodernism and he was cool and he was rock and roll and all of the girls wanted to go to his classes and yeah, 
I can imagine becoming a fangirl quite easily. <laughs> it's confessions <laughs> today on, on the That's podcast. right, yeah. Sarah Hampstera's confessions. What were your sort of overall feelings then of the show? What what did you, you make of it just generally as a, on as a paper, program? Yeah. Absolutely, it's something I should have enjoyed. A woman in charge of a department pushing desperately modernisation on this ancient institution. And it's Sandra Oh. She's brilliant. But I didn't get on with it. I didn't get on with it at all. I thought it was patchy. It's uneven. It was very clunky. Um, It was a bit like what I was saying last week. We watched a couple of shows who were comedy dramas who balance the both beautifully this is an example of doing it wrong it there was no blend between the comedy and the drama there was like a thick wall between the two the jokes when they did come were sort of silly and slapstick and telegraphed from a mile away oh she falls off a broken chair on day one can this possibly be and it's called the chair i know (laughs) and then of course if she um has a joint and gets high the top brass are immediately going to want her to make an impromptu speech straight mm. afterwards yeah we've never seen that before yeah it just feels like um almost like she's going to be a housewife and, and like oh the boss is coming for dinner you know it's such a such a trope i was just really and found it really annoying especially in the second episode i found myself clock watching which is harsh mm. because it's only half an hour in total i know this is less than three hours of television but can't be bothered. I thought I gave it a good shot with two episodes. I think I was very fair to it. It still baffles me that I don't like it because I I should, absolutely should. It's female academic writers. It's female fronted by an incredible actress. I feel like I kind of owe it to watch the rest of it. Mm. It would be an obligation. It wouldn't be. Witted teeth. Exactly. I completely agree with you. Everything you've said, uneven... Really? Very, because it's got yeah. such amazing yeah. reviews from all kinds yeah. of like yeah. newspapers and websites. Very dry, very, you know, these characters saying very sort of generic things to each other. They didn't f- feel like well-drawn characters. They felt like, as you say, like tropes, like here are all the dusty professors whose classes don't get people in anymore. And the, here are the exciting younger ones and, you know, the rock star professor who's, whose wife's just passed away and he's troubled and is Sandro going to swoop in and fix him? And the second episode was basically about their relationship. And I kind of bought the relationship. I think it seems very tender and warm. And maybe she is doing that stupid thing that women do where they're like, oh, but I can fix him. But she's got enough on her plate with her, let's face it, horrible daughter. Yeah, <laughs> I don't and... know that I'm allowed to say that about small children who have obviously had a bad time in life, but mm. that's a horrible well, daughter she's got there. <laughs> I think that was the most intriguing part, really, like this yeah. relationship between adoptive mother and ad- an adoptive daughter and her sort of, you know, relying on her father and her elderly father for a lot of the childcare yeah. as well. Yeah, because and... that's not a story that we see very often on TV. So that part did feel quite fresh to me. But that side of it was almost, as you say, like the drama. And then we got all the comedy with, it was sort of like a workplace comedy in a way, wasn't it? That's yeah. what they were going for. And, and and the cast again, like Holland Taylor and Bob Balaban and David Morse, and they're all excellent as well, as you say, mm-hmm. Sandra Oh. But I just, I just couldn't get on with it. I, I, I completely agree with you. I was expecting you to come on and go, oh, this was brilliant. And I was going <laughs> to <Yeah>. be like. <laughs> yeah. And it just felt a bit, 
dry a bit sort of, there was nothing about do you, do you know what I mean it wasn't yeah. there, there wasn't anything about it you know it just felt it was here and you've got to like this the fact that it's a six episode uh, series and you're saying it only gets going in episode three doesn't bode well really you know not really no um, but no it, if you want to find out for yourself yeah <laughs> then... I mean you know we are we are the very small voices of caution everyone else thinks this is fabulous <laughs> yeah, I wonder I wonder what Luke will have I, I think Luke would have felt similar but I you know I never know with him um, but I <laughs> I, I get the impression this wouldn't have been up his up his street either. But yeah, ne- it's on uh, on Netflix. The chair. There's six episodes there. I'm not sure if it's coming back for a second season. I'm not sure if they've uh, mentioned that. But as you say, yeah, uh, 85% on on Rotten Tomatoes according to Wikipedia. So um, yeah, it does seem like we are in the minority. And and we'll bookend this episode with another quite dark drama. Another true life. Oh, well, no, a true life one, I should say. This is uh, Manhunt, the Night Stalker. Did you watch the first Manhunt at all? I so, did. Watched yeah. it, loved it. That yeah. was uh, 2019. Yeah. And that 20. was the death of the French student Amélie Delagrange. It was, yeah. And I thought you'd be impressed that I've done some homework. OK. <laughs> um, I know Luke would be impressed because I never know. I'm very impressed. First series was ITV's highest rated launch since series one of Broadchurch all the way back in 2013. And uh, the first episode of Manhunt got nine million, which is not a bad audience share at all. I remember Manhunt because it was one of the only programmes Luke changed his mind about after watching oh. this. Because he was very anti it in the first episode and then he watched the rest of it and really liked it. Um, yeah, and Martin bl- Clunes was a bit sensational in it. Martin Clunes absolutely blew us away, I think, with the first Manhunt. His character, Colin Sutton, it's it's actually quite interesting that this this officer went from one really sort of challenging investigation to then being placed into, you know, reviewing another very harrowing case that at the time, so this is set in 2009, had been going on for 17 years i'd not heard of this case i don't know if if, if you were aware of it ahead of, of no, going into the drama so. it was known in the press as the night stalker and it was about this i'm going to say gentleman it was a man who went into I think the, the right house word is perpetrator perpetrator <laughs> i'll just say person i suppose it, it was a serial rapist who would target elderly women who lived alone for the most part there's a traumatic opening scene where a woman goes to her mum's house, finds the light bulb broken, finds blood on her mum's bed and then finds her mum cowering in the in the cupboard. Um, and I think that sort of lets you know what this drama is going to be about. And Collins basically called in to review, Oper- I think it's called Operation Minstead. Is that right? That's right. Yes. And um, he sort of, ruffles a few feathers on the people who've been doing the investigation for the past 17 years. You know, they're looking at various avenues, uh, one of which is uh, satellite repairmen. Deck your home with blinds.com. DIY or let us install. Free design consultation. Free, 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 free
ho, ho. Blinds.com invented a better way to buy custom high-quality window treatments with no showroom mock-ups or waiting around for quotes from pushy salespeople, saving you time and money for the holidays with upfront pricing right on our website. Go right now to Blinds.com. Satisfaction guaranteed. Satisfaction guaranteed. Shop Blinds.com's Green Monday sale. Get up to 45% off, plus doorbuster deals. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. They managed to get some of his DNA, but they've never been able to identify him. They call him the Minstead Man, the police, rather than the Night Stalker. They don't like the phrase Night Stalker. They find it, you know, that's what's been invented by the police, by the press, sorry. It's basically about Colin going in and going, you've been doing this wrong, why are you doing things like that? You should be doing things like this, really. He's so polite, isn't he? Yeah. Even though he's 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 been told he has to go in there and ruffle feathers, it's mm. an it's an order from his boss. You know he can't. He says at one point, you know, why are you here, sort of thing. Oh, you know, I'm a good soldier. I do what I'm told. As when we talked about Stephen, I know I I did bring this up. I think unbeknownst to me that this was coming up next. I think Luke did mention it perhaps because this is another instance of just having a character in the lead role who is very good at his job. There is a bit more here about sort of police politics that Colin's quite close to retirement and why are they asking him to do this now? People in general in the police force are jealous of his success with the Amelie Delagrange case and they want to make trouble for him, basically. So Colin's damned if he does, damned if he doesn't. And whatever happens with this case, it will be somehow damaging to his reputation and his legacy. Mm. Um, it was nice to see his, I don't know, what do I call him? Underling? Yeah, it was nice to see it was nice to see Clive turn up again. Stephen White, I believe, is the actor. Yeah, is that right? Yeah. Great. I love him. I didn't feel as warm to this as I did the first series, but I think it's because Colin is so isolated. I miss his team. I want them to come back. And I do as well. Yeah, I think yeah. you got to know that team, didn't you? I like how they've, you know, retained. You know, you see those scenes with him and his wife, which is which are yeah. quite. They're worried that this guy is so methodical and so well practiced that they're never going to catch him because he's never mm. going to make a mistake. So she says, "We'll go back to the earliest cases that you think could possibly be him while he was training, essentially mm. for this this horrible job." as you see if he's made a mistake it's a bit bizarre that this is over four nights because we've had Stephen over three weeks mm. i'm not quite sure who makes those decisions yeah i didn't ITV. realize this was stripped when you said it i was like huh that's a bit of a shock they did that with the first series mm. as well as maybe and it worked it's worth it mm. yeah but i think in this because as you say you know you were saying all the team last time made an impression i remember is it Stephen Rodri from Gavin and Stacey was one of the yeah. one of the team and there were several other like you know faces that you recognize and I think implanting him onto another team of people who've been working together for a while and are all very suspicious of him I think it'll take maybe yeah. a little bit of time to get to know these characters I recognize the guy who was um, Olivia Coleman's husband in Broadchurch was one of the yeah officers I mean I as much as you can enjoy it I think it's one of those again that looks yeah. at the intricacies of police work and and the good work that police do really 
Sorry. It also highlights the bad as well, mm. because this team have been doing basically nothing for mm. 17 years because they've gotten so into the idea that the DNA is everything. So what they just need to do is keep swabbing people mm. and eventually they'll find their man. But it is the slowest tactic possible, especially because this guy, don't they say in, that he's back, you know, like he's had a, a couple of years break from this and now he's back, you yeah. know assaulting women and breaking into houses again and he's just come back from nowhere um, and also it's really weird because all of the dna swabs are voluntary and mm. they're looking for a black man so quite naturally black men in southeast london met with a lot of resistance because of the the racism that we've talked about before many times historically mm. in the police department and there is a scene in there as well isn't there where they ask a black man for a swab and he just tells them to get no. lost basically <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> He points at the black police officer and basically says, well, you know why. You know why yeah. that I'm, I'm not doing this. Would you be watching the rest of it? Yes, I yeah. will. But I, again, it just seems a bit much, doesn't it, for four nights? Mm. Let's let's maybe, let's maybe, oh, God, no. I was going to say let's watch it on the ITV hub, but no. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll be, you'll be glad to know that next monday and um, they're replacing it with gordon gino and fred in greece oh, so wow. <laughs> only quite different yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no murders in that well let's hope not anyway um no. but yeah you know it, it's one of those dramas like with Stephen, where you're invested in the investigation i think it helps that we've already met colin sutton in in the previous manhunt and, and we're sort of on his side and yeah. again martin clues is excellent here i like his sort of you know the accent he puts on and his little mannerisms and i love how methodical he is and how he's willing to go back to square one and start again with this and how unassuming he seems. But I think he can't get away with that this time around because everybody knows that he's like a rock star. So that's why he's met with so much resistance from this team and their their weird little coffee mornings, which yeah. just made him feel like, you know, he was getting bullied. <laughs> Yeah. But he's fine. He rolls with the punches, you know, and he goes and, and sees the guy in charge, Simon, and, and says, look, I know that you're messing me around. Again, one of the things they've mentioned is that there's been many reviews of this case. So they're used to, I suppose they're used to other people turning up and stepping on their toes and how to yeah. normally how to deal with. The whole process of this case, the fact it's gone on for so long and the fact that so many people have come in to do reviews will have completely ground all those detectives down because they're not yeah. getting anywhere and they're just being told that they've got to do better but they don't really know how so hopefully colin can breathe some new life into this and get his man and as we said it is on monday to thursday 9 p.m on itv so uh, yeah that's it for another week thanks so much for there for for joining us again no worries and um, next time th- nothing so hard hitting thank you Oh, well. He was me trying to avoid help and you just dragged me in. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I thought, yeah, I thought that was an interesting uh, chat. And thank you so much for Erin for, for joining us. It was very much short notice. And I, th- I think we had a very uh, in-depth conversation there. And yeah. hopefully we haven't traumatised her too much. Luke will be back next time. I'm not sure when that will be, whether it will be next week. It will depend on if there's any good telly. I know that uh, Bake Off's back. But Bake Off's back. Uh, RuPaul's Drag Race is back. There's something. Oh, Taskmaster's back soon. Basically, Lee's, all of the Great programs back. are back. Yeah, maybe we'll get Luke to watch uh, Drag Race. <laughs> I've never watched it before. So, you know. The UK Drag Race is definitely the high water mark. Oh, is it? I do like the names. I've read the names. Yes. 
No, they're all brilliant. I can't wait to see them. And hopefully, yee, get to see some in the flesh on Saturday in Birmingham. Oh, wow. Really looking forward to it. And, and I should say on the website at the moment, Sarah's uh, review of Alma's Not Normal is there after you heard us review it last week. And uh, my review of uh, Back to Life as well. And um, Luke wrote a, an opinion piece on Britishness in TV as yeah. well, which is uh, an interesting read. So that's all on there, thecustardtv.com. Yeah, so that's it from us. Uh, talk to you again soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Rate and review us wherever you find us. I think that it's programs like this that help people realize that they're not alone. Search The Custard TV on YouTube, iTunes and Facebook. Selling your car to Carvana is as easy as... As easy as pie? Sure. All you have to do is enter your license plate or VIN. As easy as a stroll in the park. Okay, then just answer a few questions and you'll get a real offer in seconds. As easy as singing. Why not? Schedule a pickup or drop off and Carvana will pay you that amount right on the spot. As easy as playing guitar. Actually, I find that kind of difficult. But selling your car to Carvana is as easy as... Can be. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to get an instant offer today.